On Friday, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on a cross and he was buried in a tomb. And we believe and confess that he really did die. He didn't just appear to be dead. He truly died. No more heart beating in his chest. No more uh, breath coming in and out of his lungs. He was dead. But we also believe that Christ did not stay dead. We believe and confess that He was resurrected on the third day. He rose from the dead, flesh and blood, not just a spirit. Uh, He came back to life. And that reality is vital to our faith. I still remember Dr. Kreider from my, uh, one of my theology classes at DTS teaching us about how vital this is. And him saying, a dead Savior is no at all. But we don't have a dead Savior. We have a living, resurrected Savior. And the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And so let's get into our text today. Our sermon is titled, The Resurrected Savior. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to Luke 24. I'm going to read our text and pray for us. Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened here in these days? What things? He asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, Some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all The prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. 
But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening. And now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those gathered with them together who said, The Lord has truly been raised and appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he had made known to how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We confess it is true and we cling to this truth today. Help us see that it is uh, the only hope that we have. Help us believe today and help our lives be changed because of it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the first part of Luke 24, before today's passage, details the women who went to the tomb early on Easter morning after the crucifixion. And they had taken spices that they had prepared, that they were going to prepare his body because there wasn't time to prepare the body uh, before he was put in the tomb. And while they were there, they found the tomb empty. The stone had been rolled back from the entryway. There was no body and angels appeared to them and told the women, why are you here? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus isn't here. He's alive. And so they rushed back and told the disciples And so it's on this day uh, that these disciples that we're going to look at this text today are on their way to Emmaus. They've heard those that report. Uh, And what we're going to see here is it's no longer just a rumor. Those first 12 verses, there are there's a report that Christ is living. There's a report that he didn't stay dead. But the text now shows us the living Christ. He comes to his followers. So we're going to look through this text and see a few true things about the resurrected Savior. The first of those is this. The resurrected Savior comforts the discouraged. The resurrected Savior comforts the discouraged. Let's look at 13 through 18 again in this text. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, What is this dispute that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking 
and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? So the same day that the women found the empty tomb, the same day that reports had come out that Christ was not dead anymore and that He was alive, that He had risen from the dead, these two disciples start heading back to a town about seven miles away, a town called Emmaus. And it says that they are talking about everything that has taken place. Talking about the crucifixion, talking about the reports of the empty tomb, talking about news that maybe Christ truly has been raised. And then we see that they're arguing about them. So they have disagreements on what's taking place. What has happened? What does it mean? And in that moment... All of a sudden, the resurrected Christ in flesh and blood comes walking up beside them and walks along the road with them, but they don't recognize him. Uh, It says they were prevented from seeing him, literally like their eyes were blocked from being able to recognize that it was Jesus that was with them and talking with them. God had stopped them from being able to see that it was Jesus for this moment. Of course, Jesus knows everything that's taken place. Jesus knows exactly what they are discussing. But he asked them, what is it that y'all are arguing about? And we're walking along the road and I can tell y'all have got like these heated feelings of something has taken place. What's got you so upset that you're arguing with one another on the road? And they stop walking and the text says they looked discouraged. Cleopas asks, how is it that you don't know? Everybody who's been here knows exactly what took place. Everybody who was a visitor to Jerusalem knew all the events that took place. Are you the only one that's oblivious to what's happened in the last few days? The followers of Jesus had had their worlds turned upside down, right? Their hopes have been shattered. The man that they had loved and served and followed and put their hope in had been killed. The text says they were discouraged when Jesus says, what is it that has you so upset? Why are you arguing with one another? And it says they were discouraged. Some translations say their face became downcast uh, or their faces were filled with sadness. One translation says they looked broken hearted. Right there, they're Savior that they were hanging all their hopes on is dead. But what they don't realize is that 
discouragement is about to be undone, right? That sadness is about to be turned into joy. The resurrected Savior has come alongside of them. He didn't stay dead. He had come back to life. And because that is true, there's actually something to hope in. Paul teaches us that about the vital nature of the resurrection and that without it, there truly isn't any hope. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, we see Paul making that argument. Starting in verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone else. Mickey, I'm going to put up 20 in just a second. So Paul's argument up to this point in these few verses is if Jesus didn't come back to life, then there's truly no hope for us. He says your faith is worthless. It doesn't matter what you believe if Jesus stayed dead. He says you're still in your sins. You haven't been forgiven if Jesus Christ stayed in the grave. But look at verse 20. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So, if He didn't come back to life, there's no hope. But guess what? He did come back to life. There is hope. Because Christ didn't stay in the grave. That means that we actually do have hope in this world. What comforting news. And that comforting news wasn't just comforting news for the discouraged disciples that were walking on the road to Emmaus. The resurrected Christ comforts us in our discouragement. Are you ever discouraged? Are you ever sad? Are you ever heartbroken at the mess of this world or the mess of your life? We have hope, people, because Christ has come back from the dead. It's the only thing that we can put our hope in. However discouraging things may get, no matter how dark things feel in this broken world, we have comfort in the news that our Savior has come back to life. We have comfort for our discouragement, for our brokenheartedness that we find ourselves in so often. The second truth that we're going to see from this text is this. The resurrected Savior fulfilled God's plans. The resurrected Savior fulfilled God's plans. This was God's plan from the beginning. He had been pointing to it. He had uh, sent prophets to tell about it over and over again. 
And we're going to get more into that next week because we see the same truth taught in the next week. So we're going to be taking the resurrection uh, in two parts. Uh, And so we'll dig more into all the ways that uh, the Old Testament scriptures were pointing ahead at the coming Savior. But today we're going to look at one of those. We're going to focus on the death of and resurrection, that this was part of God's plan. And it wasn't a, like, oh gosh, uh, they killed Jesus, so I wasn't prepared for that. What do I do now? This was God's plan. So let's look at verse 19 through 27. So they said to him in 18, are you the only one that's not aware of what has taken place about Jesus? And he says, well, what, what things are you talking about? In verse 19, what things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was going to redeem, who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen visions, a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. So in all of the Old Testament, there are all of these things that were pointing to Jesus and promising Jesus. And Jesus teaches them and explains, like, here, let me show you. This was all part of God's plan. This is what God has been planning to do all along. In order to save us. In order to save you. Right? This was his plan. And so Jesus asked them, you know, what is it that y'all are talking about? And they start explaining, both of them explaining. Well, there was this guy. Uh, there was this guy, Jesus. He was a prophet of the Most High God. He was, like, performed all of these miracles. And I can see them just, like, back and forth. And, and, and he was also this. And, and he, he taught us about this. And so they are explaining all of these details. And then they say, but the religious leaders killed him. They killed him. And a key verse here for where they're thinking is, is we were hoping that he was the one that was about to redeem Israel. We had put all our hope in him. He was the one that was going to bring about redemption. But he died. And so our hope has been dashed 
And they go on to tell the news about the empty tomb. And then in verse 25 through 27, Jesus corrects their understanding. He corrects their line of thinking. See, they thought that since Jesus had died with the crucifixion, that he must not have been the one who was going to bring about redemption. And what they didn't know, that it was going to be through his death and through his resurrection that he would be able to bring redemption to all those who would believe in him. And Jesus says, you were slow to believe everything that the prophets had taught. So they believed some of the stuff that, that the prophets had taught about the coming Messiah. They believed the teachings about his reign. They believed the teachings about having this powerful king that's going to overthrow the oppressors. They loved that idea, but they had missed the message about the suffering that had to happen first. And Jesus says, you missed it. Didn't the, didn't the scripture say that this is what was going to happen? That this is what had to happen That the Messiah had to suffer. That the Messiah had to endure all of these things before he could enter into his glory. Verse 27 is such an important detail for us in understanding the Old Testament scripture. Uh, And we're going to talk more about it next, uh, next week when we get to this. But verse 27, he says, Then beginning with Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the Scriptures. The Scriptures were pointing to Jesus Christ. The Scriptures were a story that was showing what God was going to do in order to redeem fallen mankind, in order to right all the wrongs of this broken world. They were pointing to Jesus. They had promised a Savior who would come and rescue their people from their sins. And they promised that Savior was going to do that by suffering in our place. We're only going to look at one of the Old Testament references to that. The prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. He was despised. This is a prophecy pointing ahead to Jesus Christ. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced. Because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. 
700 years before Jesus Christ came, the prophet Isaiah, speaking for God, promised a Savior who would come and suffer in our place. The theological term for this is substitutionary atonement, where God was going to take our guilt because of our sin, and He was going to place that on His promised Savior. He was going to place that on His own Son, Jesus. Jesus was sinless. He never sinned, never disobeyed God, perfectly obedient. And then He served as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. He died in our place. Look at verse 5 again. He was pierced. 700 years before Christ, the prophet says, the Savior is going to be pierced. And He was pierced on the cross through His hands, through His feet, in His side with the spear. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on Him and we are healed by His wounds. So Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for us. He was crushed because of our sins, not because of anything He had ever done. He was wounded so that through His wounding we could have healing. Jesus was a substitute for us. That was God's plan. Jesus endured this. And by enduring the death on the cross and then the resurrection that would come after that, He was fulfilling the plans that God had made long ago. Scripture is clear. We are all sinners. We all rebel against a holy God. God has provided a Savior in His Son, Jesus. Jesus died in our place. He was a substitute for us. And so if we would just believe in Him, Scripture says that you will be saved. So question for us is, are we trusting in Jesus? Are we trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins? It's the only way that we will be forgiven, is if we would believe in Him. And if you are, the question then becomes, are you living in awe of the depths of God's commitment to rescue you? We should live every day in complete awe and wonder that God would go through this in order to save someone like me and someone like you. We should be amazed by His grace and mercy for us. The third thing we'll see in this text, the resurrected Savior motivates His people with the good news. The resurrected Savior motivates His people with the good news. When you get good news, you share it with others, right? 28 through 35, back in Luke 24. They came near the village where they were going, and He gave the impression that He was going farther. But they urged Him, stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So He went in to stay with them. 
It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, Weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who had gathered together who said the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So to make it to, to Emmaus, they beg Jesus. They still don't recognize that it's Jesus. They beg him, hey, stay with us. Don't, don't leave. Like, it's almost night. It's not safe to travel the roads at night. It's certainly not safe to travel the roads alone. Stay with us. And they go in and prepare to eat. And their guest, as they recline at the table, takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. And in that moment, they finally see. God takes the veil from their eyes, opens their eyes to realize that it's Jesus. Jesus is with them. And He disappears from them as soon as they realize it. So in the breaking of the bread, they recognize their Savior. We don't know for sure from the text, but that's likely because they were probably some of the disciples who were there the day that He broke the bread when He fed 5,000, or He broke the bread and fed 4,000. Because we see that same language, that He blesses it, looking up to heaven, He blesses it, breaks the bread, and then they... Feed all of these people with such a small amount of food. These disciples were likely there that day. And when they're sitting at the table and Jesus prays and he breaks the bread, they see it. Finally, they see it. Can you imagine the look on their face? They've been traveling miles with him. He's been teaching them, talking to them, reclining at the table with them, and they hadn't seen it. And then all of a sudden, it was Jesus. He was with us. But uh, Really? It was Him. How did we not see it on the road? It was Jesus. He really is alive. Mouths hitting the floor in complete awe and wonder that the Savior that they had hoped in, who they thought all hopes have been crushed, is actually alive. And so what do they do? Do they say, wow, that was amazing. Let's get ready for bed. It's time to go to sleep. Absolutely not. You share good news, right? I share good news if I find a good deal at the store or if I find a new restaurant that has a better hamburger than the other restaurants in town. I tell everybody about it. You share good news. This is the best news that the world has ever received. And so they 
quickly gather up their stuff, that very hour they rush back to Jerusalem. They find where the eleven apostles were. Judas has already, of course, gone out after the betrayal and likely has already died. They find the other eleven apostles and they find some others who had gathered with them who were telling reports that Peter had seen the risen Christ also. And they come in as they hear, hey, these people have talked to Peter. Peter has told them that Jesus has visited him. And then they say, well, listen to what happened to us. We were walking to Emmaus. And he came alongside of us, but we didn't know it. And we talked to him for miles. And then we sat down at a table and he blessed our meal and he broke the bread. And all of a sudden we knew it was him and he disappeared from our sight. They shared the good news with others that Jesus really is alive And the fact that Jesus is alive is not something that we should keep to ourselves. It's the best news that every single person in the world needs to hear. And so if we are followers of Jesus, this news should set our hearts on fire too. Our hearts should be burning within us that we have a Savior who died for our sins and then came back to life. And since he came back to life, we actually have hope. That was Paul's point in that Corinthians passage is you now know that you will have hope after this life if you're in Christ because Christ came back to life. He conquered death for us. And so that should motivate us, church, to share the good news with others that a Savior has come that a Savior has served as sacrifice for our sins and that He died in our place, but God raised Him up on the third day. Who can we share that good news with? Let's not hesitate in telling others. Jesus is alive. Amen? Jesus is alive. He loved us all the way to the cross. And He died on the cross for us in our place. And then He rose on the third day. He conquered death for us. And because of Him, forgiveness is available. Because of Him, hope abounds for people who have trusted in Him. And so if you have not believed in Jesus... The call today is to believe in Him. The invitation today is to believe in Him. Today is the day of salvation for you if you would just trust Him. Scripture says if you would believe in Him, that you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. And if you want to talk about that, if you want have questions about that, see me, one of the elders or ministry leaders here after the church. We'd love to be able to share more about the hope we have because of Jesus Christ. And church, for us today, we celebrate a living Savior. And His resurrection offers us comfort 
in our discouragement, whatever discourages us, whatever breaks our hearts, whatever saddens us, we have comfort knowing that it will not always be this way. He fulfilled God's plans to rescue us. He did everything that was necessary in order for us to be saved. Let's live lives changed because of that. Let's share that good news with others and invite them to believe it. What a Savior we have. What a loving God we have. We have hope today, church, because of our resurrected Savior. Let's pray. Father, you are good and faithful. We thank you for the hope that we have. We thank you for the joy that we have because of Jesus. Shape us, change us, set us on fire with this message. Send us out as people that herald the good news of the Son of God who has made a way for salvation. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.